0: Welcome to the Wonder Woman Club podcast. We bring you conversations that will inspire, empower, and educate you to thrive both in business and in life. My name is Vash Naidu, and I'm your host, an intuitive fempreneur coach and the founder of the Wonder Woman Club, a global community of phenomenal women doing phenomenal things in the world. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wonder Woman Club podcast. Today, we have a very exciting guest, Ram Castillo, who is a multitude of many things. Uh, Firstly, a designer, an advisor, and a business coach, as well as an author. And he has his very own podcast called Giant Thinkers. Welcome to the podcast, Ram. We are so excited to have you here. And I would love for you to tell me your story. Where did it all start for you?
1: Oh, Vash, what a pleasure it is to be on your show. We met on Clubhouse, and it's, it's amazing to connect with you and your audience. Uh, so my story, I'd say, begins before me. It starts uh, definitely with my parents who are originally from the Philippines. Um, growing up for them, it was tough. I mean, we're talking about, let's start with my dad. He was um, uh, is one of 11 children, uh, so big family. His father passed away when he was three years old. So already he had to grow up quite quickly. Um, and then his mother passed away when he was in, in uni. So, you know, eighteen nineteen, 19. Um, and so he really had to look at education as a way out, so to speak of, of a life that was um, tough and, and still is in, 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 you know, we're talking about Philippines being a um, hundred million people with a landmass, that's one third of Australia. I'm from Sydney and we have 25 million people. So Philippines is four times as many people with three times less space than, than Australia. So totally different lifestyle. Um, he studied Marine transportation, mechanical engineering, double degree. And get this, we get to Australia, we'll migrate here. And both of those degrees are not recognized, even though that oh, they, no. they studied at a top university Mum, on the other hand, she as well, tough one, one of five, her, um, life was full of sickness. She was just a sickly child and, and just was constantly sick. She had a lot of health problems and um, she pushed through um, her father was not really around uh, my grandfather. Um, he was in the military and basically he was fairly abusive. Um, he, you know, just was, wasn't really around and he, he was a bit of a drunk and a womanizer and, Basically, she, my mum, grew up with with sort of um, the, the mum, uh, her mum, taking care of five kids on her own. So my grandma, she was a real hustler. She had a little corner store and she had a little sewing machine and she would make do and sent all the kids to school and everything. And um, and and that was the lens with which I grew up in, because uh, I was only a one year old baby when we migrated to to Sydney. So here I am, one of three kids. Um, I was always a, a very curious kid. I remember one time in our little apartment, uh, Mum was cooking spaghetti and I would collect empty tissue, tissue boxes and toilet paper rolls and I would make stuff. I would make robots with these cardboard material and make cities, whole thing. I would even draw on on the wall. Mum would let me as long as I could clean it up. Uh, she was cooking spaghetti one night. I was about four. And she said, Ram, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I don't know, mom, I just want to make stuff. She stopped cooking and put her hand on my shoulder. And she said, whatever you want to be, whatever you want to do, make sure you dream big, like real big and dream, dream bigger, much, much bigger. And so imagine growing up that way where you're not prescribed a certain path. So I grew up with parents who just encouraged me to try everything. I wasn't great at basketball. wasn't great at um, soccer, even though I played soccer for most of my life. Um, it was just a go for it, like literally nothing to lose. Go for it, because they had they didn't have the fertile ground that I have that they obviously saw by migrating here. So I went for it, Vash. I went for everything. Um, you know, we we didn't have much, but I, I navigated through creativity was the thing that was my zone of genius the thing that i gravitated towards not that i knew that it was at the time it's just that i only knew that, that i was good at it because i just naturally was was always a drawer and a, and i would paint and i would play and i would explore but who knew that that was a huge part of being a designer you know a part of not assuming and iterating something and find and reverse engineering a desired outcome and finding a solution to a problem. Like it's, it's a, a puzzle and, and, and I loved it. Life is a puzzle for me. And, and so I apply that to business. I apply that to, to a whole range of things, but, but fundamentally, and, and I'll, I'll park it there, but, but that's a big part of where my story starts.
0: I think that's, you know, like when, when I meet people that have had very different um, childhoods and where you have every opportunity and very low opportunities or no opportunity at all, it changes the quality of the person so dynamically in their characteristics and in, in their outlook in life. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I also come from Africa. I know what challenge is like, and, and I've also had a very tough childhood in that sense. And I think, you know, you've had parents that instilled in you this dream big, mentality which you don't normally get. Like you said, a lot of parents, especially if they've come from that type of background, can easily say, well, we want you to study, we want you to do this and go into this. But you were given, you know, total free reign in your own life, which is so majestic as a kid. And and to see that grow. And what I want to ask is how do you see the dynamics between obviously growing up, you grew up mainly in Australia. But so your parents grew up in a very different world altogether. And what is that difference like with the generation between you and your parents now, and how you communicate, and how you dream, and what you go after, as opposed to what they feel that you know is acceptable in their lives? Because they would have also just taken what was given at one point in their life, right?
1: Yeah, I think um, we've all had to adjust, <laughs> I, and 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 I guess it's it's um, I've I've been ossified, and I think they've been ossified, so to speak, as well, because. Um, there's cultural shifts here we're talking about. And I, and, and I guess I didn't realize all of this um, until I was 15 when I first visited the Philippines for the first time, I'll tell you this story, uh, which I think you'll find amusing. Uh, landed in Manila airport, 15 years old, decked out in my Quicksilver and billabong gear. Right. Like, cause I was an Aussie kid. Like I didn't grow up the way my parents did. Right. I only heard stories uh, get to the airport and grandma's with us uh, on my mum's side, mum's mom, mum, and uh, she said, "Hey Ram, you know when you, when you, and by the way, this is in or Tagalog. Tagalog is the Filipino language. Um, there is another dialect, but Tagalog is the is the common one. And so they would speak to me actually. So that's one. They would speak to me in Tagalog growing up, and I would respond in English. Now this is quite common if for others that migrate out of their uh, their, their their main um, sort of a country of origin. Um, so so grandma said to me, oh." Um, which we call Lola, L-O-L-A. Uh, she said, Don't give any money to the beggars, okay? The poor people, because there's lots of them. And if you give money to one, it's it just can create create a bit of chaos. And I was like, I was like, oh yeah, no worries. Of course, that's fair, fair, fair point. But in my mind, I thought beggars were like what I saw in Australia, which were sort of like bearded men with cardboard signs, right? So that's what I thought get to the airport and then was greeted by a few little kids who made these handmade necklaces out of flowers. It was just a flower necklace. And I was like, wow, this is kind of like Hawaii, like what I would see in movies or whatever. Uh, anyway, so I gave, you know, 20 pesos to this kid. And then within seconds, it was a rush of all these other kids. And they were the poor, poor people. My my grandma was saying. In fact, there were so many of them, I couldn't keep up. We rushed to the van. And I had a designated driver that my auntie organised, and closed the door. And then my grandma's like, "I told you not to give any money to the to the beggars." And I was like, "I had no idea." Mm-hmm. And so, so it hit me like straight away. And I'm looking outside the window of our van. And we're driving off and they're like literally banging on the van going, you know, begging, literally begging at that point. It was even like, you know, other people, you know, selling candy or lollies or whatever they could knocking on vans when you'd stop at a, at a traffic light or somewhere um, without any limbs. And it's like the whole thing was just an eye opening experience for me because in the back of my head, I thought I could have been any one of these kids. This could have been my life. Now, I mean, we don't, nothing compares to, to that. If, if you live a life in Australia, you can live, you can, you can work in McDonald's or at a night packer at Woolworth's at, at the, at the grocery store and you still are able to travel the world. You can live a good life and it is, it is, a very comfortable lifestyle just because you live in a country that offers you the opportunity to have that starting point. Now, granted there's poverty here in Australia too, hundred percent. But for me, that was a, a key shift. And you asked me the question around, you know, what is, you know, what, what differences might there have been? I mean, there's so many cultural ones just like, um, i guess i guess i've i 've found that um, it was difficult for them to adjust as well because the community of being a Filipino is very rich in like everyone 's your auntie, your uncle it 's like honestly, and that this is no exaggeration when my dad visited a few years back, uh, like I said, one of eleven, my auntie had to hire a whole estate just to just to bring a family reunion together. It was only partial, but there there was, was one hundred and twenty people that turned up. It was it was magical. It was brilliant, and and I guess um, that's a big part of it. I mean, um, th- there is a loneliness that I see when people migrate out of out of um, you know what they they're used to, uh, because they don't have much bash. They don't have much you know over there in the Philippines for the most part, um, but it is It is so rich in in happiness so i that that is deeply ingrained in me um, because also one thing I didn't mention I was severely bullied uh, as uh, as a child in primary school I, I broke my arm three times and got sixteen stitches before the age of eleven and If it wasn't for the love and the nurturing of my family, my mom and my dad um, i think i'd be I'd be a different person because even despite that fact, I felt loved and I felt cared for. Um, and I was very much, I wasn't confident. So people look at me now and they're like, Ram, you've spoken around the world. You've done, you know, I have, I've launched two books. I've done two global tours speaking around the world on design and creativity and, um, and, and I've been on big stages, but that's, that's what I want to show people as possible. I wasn't naturally gifted by any means. I worked hard to get to where I am. Uh, to, to a lot of the success that we see in public, we don't see that those people have spent years practicing mm-hmm. their craft in private. And and I hope I hope to be an example of what's possible because I tell you now that you know I was the shortest kid in school, Vash, second shortest in high school, never the most talented. Like I just said, with the sporting, I was chosen c grade d grade even um i was never the most wealthy never the most intelligent always in the friend zone (laughs) honestly and i was i was a very shy kid and so it's possible to learn a lot of the things that i feel might be unreachable to so many
0: yeah there's there's so much that you've touched on there and i think you know the the experience of you going back home. I mean, I know what it's like. I'm I'm a, a first generation expat to the UK and I know what that challenge is like because it does get lonely and it is quite a, a difficult, um, it's a difficult process, especially when you're going through difficulty yourself, not having your family, your support, your network around you. And, and for me, I am the only one that has left my family that is in another country. So it's quite challenging in that sense. But, you know, when when I go back home, I, I obviously still have a very deep affinity to the country because I, I spent most of my life in the country. But with you going back to the Philippines and having that experience, how did that then shape your mentality after that? Because prior to that, being a kid, I can imagine prior, being a kid in Australia, like exposed to everything that is available to you and then seeing how difficult it is. What did that make you think at that point and how did that shape you to become the man you are right now? Because I think that would have been quite a pivotal moment.
1: It was, and and you've picked it, Vash, you've picked it well. Um, That was 15, that first visit, and then recurring year on year, we would would visit every couple, uh, two years, um, uh, I would visit. Um, Highly recommend it, by the way, for any parents, obviously, you know, when safe to do so, Um, just traveling as a whole, in short, it expanded my baseline. So, when you're a kid growing up, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know the perspective because, sorry, let me rephrase that. There's a difference between a lived experience and an observed experience. And um, I often speak about this on Clubhouse, actually. It's important. And, and, and it's, it's important to know that, that we have to bring in the voices of the lived experience because ob- observation is, is so important and certainly a tool with which we can appreciate something, but until you're there. And even then, even when I was there, I was still observing. So, so I guess for me, it's really asking the question. And I ask myself the question constantly, you know, where is this vantage point that you're viewing life and this opportunity or this challenge even. So I'll give you an example, right? Parents couldn't afford to take me to design school. I knew At that age around 15 16 i wanted to pursue design without a doubt there was no question it was the only commercialized career path that was available when you you know you're, you're advised with your career advisor and whatnot that was clear as day i'm going for it problem is i couldn't afford to to go there and in fact i wasn't really great on the books i mean i was an average student took general maths general english like i was not excelling in anything apart from art but art alone problem with with the education system to some degree art alone might not have given me the grades to go to university and so i was not expecting to go to university long and the short of it is there was one design school that i really wanted to go to and it was a private design college best in 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 the country uh the only problem was and at the time it was a lot it was about 50 grand now that same course is 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 over 100 grand um my parents couldn't afford even a fraction of that. So I applied for sc- scholarships on every design school that offered um, design. I, I didn't get into that school. Okay. It was called Billy Blue College of Design under Laureate University. Uh, and I went to some design school that offered me uh, a scholarship to study design that doesn't even know about, it, it, I mean, it, it wasn't even known rather that it, it was uh, known, known for design. In fact, it's basically a no frills branded college that um, is known for it and marketing, but not design. Anyway, I took it. Cause it was, <laughs> that was my only way to study it. Um, after that, I got an offer to start at Ogilvy. Right. But in the mailroom, And so everyone thought, why the heck is, you, you're so talented ramp. You, you, they were like, you, you're so much better than the mailroom job. And in my head, I'm like, and this is one example. And I'm like, this is the best opportunity that I could ever get. But people didn't see it the way I saw it. How could they? They didn't have the lived experience I had. I thought, this is great. I saw so many pros to this. I was like, 350 people in the first week is who I met over four levels. They had the biggest accounts in the world. Everything from Pizza Heart to Coke to Hyundai to Amex to Dove. Long list, client list. I get to be a fly on the wall. People thought that was a bad thing. I was exposed to everything. I I could get everyone's name and they would know mine. There were so many good things about this. But again, you know, a lot of my peers and even others, even my teachers in college were like, you sure you want to take that job? I'm like, this is great. And sure enough, it was the springboard to launch my entire career. People that I met there uh, are people that have allowed me to help to navigate to where I am. So I, I went through the ranks. I went through McCann World Group, another big agency, Imagination, worked with Kylie Minogue on on New Year's Eve branding 2012. I worked with great clients all the way through, and I climbed that ladder. Uh, I, 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 I did what seemingly was impossible. My former role, Vash, uh, for the listeners, uh, I was head of digital design at Saatchi and Saatchi. In Australia. And so I was servicing Amex, Qantas, and Toyota as clients. I had a team of eight to 12 people. Uh, previously, I was a design director at DDB. So I was servicing, Ame- uh, servicing McDonald's, Woolworths, and Audi. But you know, like I started in the mailroom. In fact, my first ever real job was a Woolworths checkout operator, 14, nine months. When you're in Australia, you can work 14, nine months, 14, nine months on the dot. I got a job. So, you know, I, I guess for me, it, 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 how it did that affect me is we have it so good and I'm willing to play the long game. Life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I believe that it's given me resilience that I see that are, are lacking in today and to no fault of their own. Most of the time, It's it's the world we live in. The, the, the tools, the exposure, people, places, things, they impact the way that we have resilience this much or resilience that much. You know, the, the instant gratification, uh, is it this much or is it like, no, I'm willing to, to wait. And so for me, it's allowed me great patience because I'm so grateful that the alternative could have been
0: far different.
1: Um, so that's a bit of my my thoughts on it.
0: <laughs> I think, you know, there's 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 this learned, like I'm on I want to go back to when you said about the learned and observed experience because I find um I find I gravitate to people who have had the lived experience because I've had a lot of lived experiences. And I can tell the difference from someone who has had the lived and observed experience because the depth of the person is very different. And in, you know, and, and switching it slightly into more of the, um, of the world of business, right, the world of um, academia, the world of, of um, career, with people that are listening that are just starting out, right, and you have potentially have, if you're listening to a podcast, you might be someone who has every opportunity and every gift and every option, because you'll be listening to a podcast right now. And the, the thing is that you might not have had those lived experiences, and you get to observe or you get to learn and listen to others who've had really challenging, difficult moments, it's from your perspective, what is the best way for someone to become adapted in the way of having almost lived that experience, but having the characteristics instilled in them from the other lived experiences of others so that they can become better beings and also climb that that ladder because we live in such an age right now where everything is fast, everything is digital, we want things immediately. And we look at you know the Gen Z generation, the millennial generation, and everything is expected really quick. And you know, you talk about playing the long game. And when you play the long game, as as you're playing that long game, you will get the experience. But for the generation now that wants everything right now, wants everything quick, how do they instill that level of knowledge and wisdom within themselves to become better because I'm still doing it. You know, I'm, I'm, i think we're all still doing it, but how do we help that generation right now?
1: So I recently did a talk at uh, tennis, New South Wales, part of tennis Australia. I did a talk at their, um, their future leaders program. So a group of 14, 15, 16 year old kids, and it was about leadership. And I think this is so closely tied to approaching um, the openness and exploration and the appetite to shift uh, and challenge what's comfortable effectively. Um, so the answer that I would give is is around this notion, which is I believe that that everyone can be, a change maker, a leader, a, an ambassador for inclusivity and diversity and, and, and be someone that is unplugged from the matrix, so to speak, as in, you know, not, not, not including so much of our own bias, unconscious or not, how is the question? Well, know that it has a price. And I say that softly, but I mean it so very powerfully. There is always a price to pay. And this is where the penny dropped for me um, as i would lived a life where I look back and beauty of hindsight, right? And I'm sure there'll be many more. But there's a price to be paid and I'm not talking about financial or any means. In fact, I'm talking about and you can see where I'm going with this, probably if you're listening uh yeah it's it's the price of voluntary discomfort to the point of letting go of your ego let and it's hard <laughs> by all means, I'm not saying this as an easy thing, but letting go of so much, letting go of what you think you know about someone or people or. Some something because we never really know, and so that's confronting because it, you actually have to challenge your own thinking and beliefs. This is what I had to do. I mean, even now, my my parents did the best they could. I'll loop it back to them. Even you know they my dad lawn mows to relax, bash, because <laughs> he doesn't see the value in it. He would rather do it himself, yeah. and he means well and he's done the best he could. But in my mind, I'm like dad. Let's just pay someone to do that. And he's in his right mind. No way. That's even a conceivable notion, but this is the thing. What is the thinking and beliefs that have led you to behave the way you've been behaving? So if you find something in yourself, because it's like this, it's right. It's like if if there's a, if there's an issue of the world or a problem that you feel can be solved, or something we all want to contribute in some way, shape, or form, make the world better in in anything, but there's two options. You either try to fix the thing or we have to change us. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're really talking about. The lived versus observed. The issue is nothing's going to change unless there's a willingness. That's why I always start any of my coaching with what are you looking to achieve? How do we know when you've achieved it? What are we agreeing on moving forward? And what is your level of commitment and willingness to explore? That, no matter how many mentors, because here it is, we can get mentors, we can get coaches, we can read books, we can be in environments that lift us up and that expand our perception and awareness of viewpoints that we are not simply exposed to in the local community or the neighborhood or the family that we've been exposed to, we can gather, 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 but if there's no willingness and that has to come from within. So that would be my, my thoughts on it.
0: You like that totally speaks to me in so many levels. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about this, um, this willingness, it's the, I think before that willingness is that step, of actually becoming clear about who you actually are, seeing yourself as you are with all your flaws, what's and everything, and seeing that and having that total awareness. Because I think without that, we don't recognize that there's something in us that needs to change. There's something in us that needs to you know, heal, repair, rebuild, rediscover, reprogram, something. And we all have that. And it's gonna consistently be that way because that's how we are as humans and you know when you talk about that willingness i think it is a choice right everything we have in this world is a choice and i think that's the, that's the challenge we have in the current state of where everything is right now um because people are making choices that are selfish and not united as a country as a community as a family as a people as humanity that breaks us down you know when we make those choices so Totally, totally
1: get that on such and a deep level. On, I mean, I, I appreciate that, Vash. I mean, one thing that we can utilize as a tool is, well, two things. One is asking better questions uh, within ourselves and, and, and what might arise from that. And, and number two is when we reflect on something like, hmm, what are the moments with which I've felt uncomfortable? We have to stay in that discomfort for another 20%. Uh, for example, I'm, I'm going through a massive overhaul of hiring more designers for for um, one of the companies that I'm a part of, and um, it's amazing what comes out when you just when you just add a little bit of pressure. You know Tony Robbins says this so well it's like um, you know for example, with money, for example, um, he said that money isn't evil, it's an amplifier for who you really are. Mm-hmm. I think that applies for a lot of things. Um, you know, when you, you know, what, what does pressure do to someone? It really does show someone's true colors. So I'm big on, you know, just seeing how you act and behave in circumstances that are challenging and then reflect, if you're listening to this and you might go, okay, how, how might I change my views on being more in- inclusive and if you think you're inclusive, think again, because there's always bias. You know, um, I love when we talk about culture as well, when we talk about all of the, the, you know, this is really about culture in many ways. Culture by one of my mentors has been defined by the the worst behavior tolerated. I love that description. Wow. You, you know, yeah. it's powerful stuff we're talking about here about, you know, how we are in the world how we exist the point of view you know and and it, and it really that's why i love this this show of yours it's it really dives into the story because the story a it hasn't ended yet if you're listening to this and the story the story has has different endings as well so yeah
0: yeah and i love that um description of culture culture is the worst behavior tolerated I think that is so powerful and so true Um, that that's that's definitely blown me um, away because I've never (laughs) I've never thought of it in that way and I just love that because I've always described culture in so many different ways but that just sums it up for me and complete truth Um, that is powerful so thank you for sharing you know I want to touch on the fact I know that you coach and you work with people and I, wanna, I want you to showcase for me and for those that are listening, what is the best tips and techniques that you can show someone in how to cultivate that sense of awareness and that sense of willingness and that sense of adaptability and flexibility to grow? Because we know how, how uncomfortable it can be. We know how discomforting it is, but it's very easy as well to give up and go back to what we know is our comfort and which is secure, which is what is natural to us. So what is your best advice and tips for people to get through that, through that difficult time?
1: Well, the the first thing that I would say, and it's a very great question. Let me articulate this back to you, Vashon, for the listeners. How do you cultivate a willingness to grow? Right. Just in a, in summary there, how to cultivate willingness is the short snippet of that. Um, the first thing we need to do is we need to define what does the future state look like? Otherwise, there is nothing that will help navigate you towards a change. It's like when I speak to organizations about culture shifts and change-making, and and I'm like, have you identified the exact change that you want to occur? Um, Then you build the capability around that. Then you build a roadmap around that then we define and prioritize the, the action steps for each milestone, right? It's, it sounds pretty simple on paper, but I think when we talk about cultivating um, a willingness now, uh, we, we need to apply the willingness to something is my point. So, so I, I often find that, um, that, that people are not in a shortage of goals. We want a lot. The problem is that we haven't curated the, the, the criteria of our decision making. So, we, so even with willingness to cultivate a willingness, it's, it goes back to something that I said or, um, to, to one of my friends recently, actually, I interviewed Stephanie Rice, for example, on my podcast, and she's a three-time gold medalist, five-time world record holder. And she said, anyone can do what I've done. And I'm like, Steph, what are you talking about? She said, anyone can be a three-time gold medalist, five-time world record holder. And I'm like, yeah, how? She said, all you need to do is you need to train seven days a week, seven hours a day for 15 years, and you can have what I've had. So when we talk about willingness, we're not willing to do that fair few are willing to do that, so you have to ask yourself, what does my future state of my career, my personal life, my relationships, the way that my 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 version of impact? I mean, needless to say, I'm not going to say you oh, know, gun to your head. What, how would you you know, how would you live differently? Because that's just unrealistic. You know, yes, we can talk about sliding doors moments, and but it, we're not talking about. We're not talking about the, 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 the instances where it's like that black and white what, because we simply can't comprehend that version of, of change-making. The trigger actually for me, that's practical has to be get a piece of paper and sit there and literally bucket in three buckets, personal goals, professional goals and, um, and uh, physical or health and wellness goals and go down a pragmatic approach, three months, 12 month, three years and go, what do I want? And heck, pull out that smart frameworks, uh, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, relatable, time bound. Yes, it works. So this is now, yeah, sure. We're getting into a bit of coaching sort of methodologies, but you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. This is what you're not doing. So try it and really commit to it. The problem is we we, we don't try it. We've heard of it. I've just given an exercise. I'll be surprised if even 20% of people do what I've just said.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, when the desire for something better, or we want to, the desire to raise our standard of life to where we are right now is greater than the level of comfort that we feel in this moment. Spot on That's that will change that completely. Um, So yeah, I love, and I love the three buckets because it's so simple, grab a piece of paper, even on your mobile on, you know, we all on our mobiles all the time, you can do it then and just map it out because the more you can start to visualize, the more you can start to see that life, you're like, well, yeah, that's what I truly want. So if you're gonna get, if you want something, you've got to do something to get it. And that's just the basis of life, right? That's just like a normal universal law. In order to get something, you've got to do something. Um, so I love that. And, and this has been, um, you know, an amazing um, interview and I'm going to close off with our final question, which is for me, I'd like to know what you would want people to think about you or say about you after you pass into the next life, this oh, wow. is a big one. So, so yeah, what, what would you want people to say or think about you?
1: Kind of close my eyes for this one a bit. Um, Look, I I would have, I would want people to have associated that I lived a life leading with generosity, following with care, and going down my own truth barrel, batting for the fences every single moment of every single day. Uh, and making impact through that generosity, love, and care that 's it
0: that's amazing and very beautiful i think I think in so many ways, all of us want we want people to say nice things about us, and I think sometimes we don 't realize that it can be the smallest of things that we do today that will allow people to say those good things. It's not always the big thing that we think we can need to do like in 10, 20 years time, it could just be helping your neighbor today, doing something nice for someone you love, someone you care for. And it's really simple. So thank you for a wonderful thank you so interview. Much. I've enjoyed it thoroughly and I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. And I look forward to having you back again. I, I think we can, we can talk about a lot of topics. I think <laughs> so. I it's think been so. amazing. Um, You've been great. Thank, thank you, Vash. You're welcome. And it's such a pleasure having you and we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, ma'am.
1: Likewise. Thank you so much.